This week, we talked to a professor. This is part one with Eric Coaster. Welcome to Declassified College, a podcast where we give you all the cheat codes needed to pass this level in your life. Each week, we share three short episodes filled with clips of our interviews with students from across the United States and occasionally an interview with an industry expert to answer all of your questions about attending university. College can be what sets you up for a prosperous career, or it can be the four years that when you look back on it, you wish that you did it different. We're here to make sure that you have all the information so that by the time you walk across that stage, you're ready for the so-called real world that the boomers love to talk about. My name is Justin Wynn, and it's about time we declassified college. So in the last couple episodes, we talked about what a champion is, how to find your champion, and specifically how to find your champion in career services, as well as in student clubs. Now, those are two of the best places but I think there's one that is even better. And that is with your professor. A relationship with a professor can go a long way because they're the ones that have industry relationships. They're teaching you. They can provide you letters or recommendations for later on, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to bring on my friend, Eric Coaster, onto the podcast because A, he's a former entrepreneur turned professor at Georgetown University. And he has this really unique perspective, and he's actually done some tests to have some data behind what it actually takes to start to build a relationship with a professor. So without further ado, let's jump into it. <laughs> you know, I still sometimes it's, it's odd when people call me professor because I, you know, I've always thought of myself as an entrepreneur and I still do. I think, you know, what I what happened for me, the journey from being an entrepreneur and I've, you know, as I've shared with you, I've had some really interesting startup stories. I've, you know done a bunch of companies. Um, I've raised a ton of money from different venture capital firms. Um, you know, as I told you before, one of my, in one of my prior companies, my first investor was, uh, was Ashton Kutcher. So I had this really weird, you know, sort of crazy <laughs> startup journey. Um, and one of the things that happened along the way is as I started to get plugged into this, this sort of startup scene and, you know, I tried to sort of help and mentor and, and coach other startup founders, particularly early founders, I really enjoyed that kind of aspect of coaching. And I got this kind of unique opportunity to work with Steve Blank, who was sort of the godfather of the lean startup movement. Um, we sort of did this collaborative program together, teaching sort of uh, people how to use some of these lean methodologies at accelerators around the globe. And one thing led to another. And I sort of basically backed my way into knowing a little bit about how to teach this by watching and observing some really great professors and instructors. Um, but again, I was an entrepreneur. I was just doing this more because I enjoyed it. I was never, I would never have said, Hey, I'm a professor. I would say I, I'm, you know, it's an entrepreneur who helps other people. And then when I moved out to DC, I, again, I kind of like moved here and, and I sort of just did my thing again. I started out the company, was doing some investing. I started this venture capital firm with some folks. And then I get this random call one day from someone I met at a Christmas party from Georgetown saying, Hey, um, would you be interested in teaching a class? And I was like, class what are you talking about like i i was like i wouldn't have gotten into georgetown you want me to teach your students but that was how it all started for me it was honestly i think these sorts of you know never setting out to be a teacher or professor but mostly being curious about how i could help coach other people and support other people and turn you know i think one of the challenges you see when you're teaching or when you're sort of coaching other people is that your your knowledge is very anecdotal i, I always tell people like be careful about any advice you get from people because 
typically, you know, it rewards the people who've succeeded and we overbias the luck that they had to succeed. So you look at people who had this successful, you know, exit in their company or career or whatever it is, and they tell us all this advice and we assume that, well, they must have done these certain things to work and, and they have, must have some knowledge. There's a lot of luck in this whole game, right? I mean, just so much of startups and startup success is, is driven by markets and timing that like, just because one guy had one success or one gal had one kind of good outcome doesn't necessarily mean they have a pattern that you can learn from. So that's sort of what I've tried to do since teaching is to sort of say, hey, I don't know anything. I'm not like someone who's got this particular personal knowledge that I got to say, this is the way to do it. But I'm really curious to sort of figure out how other people do it and look for patterns. And I think that's what makes the sort of teaching and engaging part really fun. 100%. And I feel like that that topic that you brought up about how being lucky when it comes to the startup world kind of applies to careers as well. It does. Right? I couldn't imagine graduating in 08 and 09. Like, what jobs were you going to get? Like, that just seems scary to me. I was fortunate enough that I graduated during kind of the up, uh, the upswing since the the Great Depression, or not depression, the Great Recession, sorry. <laughs> I <laughs> hope you didn't old. graduate from the Great Depression. My <laughs> Lord, that would have been, uh, you would be, you look good for your age then. That would be, that's the Asian genes right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so with that, like, one of the things that I feel that can kind of help you get through kind of the hiring process of college is building relationships with your professors. Mm -hmm. And people always talk about it, but they never really elaborate how to do it. And coming from the student perspective, it can feel a little weird at the very beginning because in high school, yeah, you might have some relationships with your your teachers, but it's never anything that like you might just do it just to get that referral letter um, for that mm -hmm. college application. But for college, like a relationship with a, with a good professor can lead to multiple job offers. Um, that professor can open doors for you. And especially in your case, if you're an entrepreneur, maybe there's someone that, that might want to invest in that business, right? So what do you think is a good tip for students when it comes to just getting over that stereotype in their back of their head of like, how do I even reach out to a professor? Mm-hmm. So, so I think the first thing I'll share with you a little bit, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to nerd on you a little bit with some data because I think it's an important thing to think about. So the, the point, like everyone sort of thinks, yeah, I should build relationships with my professor. And, and you hear this as like sort of this anecdotal advice. And I don't want to give you anecdotal advice. I'm going to give you some real interesting data to sort of say why you should do this and why it matters. So it's not only about like sort of stopping by office hours and sort of just meeting a professor now and again, but it really is about building a relationship. So I get asked all the time to write recommendation letters for graduate school, all that sort of stuff. But I won't write a letter for you unless I really know you and I've seen you work. So the, the key thing to understand is it's not just about saying, hey, you know, here's this professor show up so you can sort of like, you know, get on their radar so that when they're bumping you for grades, it matters. You really want to develop a relationship. And here's why it mostly matters. So there was an interesting research study that came out of Purdue University and, and the, the good people at Gallup. And what they wanted to understand is, what really mattered to succeed in your 20s and 30s? And so they did this analysis and they figured out that of, of all these people, they looked at 30,000 or so college graduates and they wanted to understand who was what they called thriving. Now, thriving basically means that in your 20s and 30s after college, there's two things that are unique about you. Number one, when asked, you feel that you tell people that you are satisfied with the general path that your life is on and you feel satisfied with the general path that your career is on. Those are the two things. So those are the things that they sort of say, in general, if someone's thriving. Now, here's the sad part of that one. Only one out of eight people are thriving, 12%, which is pretty terrible. I mean, you think about it, right? Like one wow, in eight people are thriving. Crazy. Right. And so 
that's not good <laughs> for a whole bunch of reasons, right? <laughs> and 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 I think that's part of the problem that I think people oftentimes see is that you know tons of people that I meet you know across the board feel like they're sort of not satisfied with something. And there's a bunch of reasons why this might be, but I think the core of it is that there's something missing that they're that they're not doing. They're not having that fulfillment. Something's dissatisfying about their path they're on or their career that they're on. So the researchers then wanted to figure out, well, what is different about the one person versus the seven? So the one person who's thriving, what did they do differently, particularly in college? So they looked at them and they studied all these things, majors, college, all that sort of stuff. They wanted to see, did it matter if you went to a, you know, a prestigious school or a community college? Does it matter what your background was, what your major was? Turned out none of those things really matter. It really didn't matter where you went to school. It didn't matter what you studied. It didn't matter your grades. That didn't determine whether or not you were going to be sort of this thriving person. But there were two things that mattered. The first one was this. People who worked on a project during college that took them longer the semester, a real meaningful project, those people were more likely to be satisfied. And the second one in it is those people who developed a mentor-like relationship with a faculty, those two things. So if you want to set yourself up to sort of be much more likely, you're like 3x more likely to be in this thriving camp if you do those two things, meaning if you go, go out and work on something that's challenging, that's meaningful, that again, takes you longer than a semester, some kind of work that's big and meaty and challenging, and you develop a relationship with a faculty member that they support you either on that project or otherwise, that's what you can do. So people get really nervous about things like, oh, I got to get this right major or I got to have this right internship. Turns out it really doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter that much. It's much more important that you focus on something that is substantive, meaningful to you, and you wind up building this kind of relationship with a faculty member along the way. So that's the reason why this matters. It's not just like you should. It's because if you want to see yourself someone who has these more opportunities, unique things in your 20s and 30s, this is where they begin, right? It begins while you're in college where you're working on something challenging. You're doing something that pushes the envelope, right? It's not about taking easy classes or whatever it is or doing these certain activities. It's about doing something that's personal, meaningful, and, and again, sort of challenging to you and having the support of someone along the way, that coaching-based relationship you have. So that's first off, I think, why it matters. Now, the second part of it is like, okay, well, what do you do about it, right? Like, great, I, I believe you, Eric. This sounds good. The next part of it is you have to figure out a way to, to sort of develop a project or something that you think that you can get the support and relationship with a faculty member. I get people all the time who say the following thing to me, Eric, I'd love to get coffee with you. Listen, I don't really want to get coffee with you. Not that I mean, I don't want to, I'd love to meet you, right? But I'm much more interested in the limited time that I have. I want to help you work on something you care about, right? It's like, here's the thing. People sometimes want to sort of grab coffee with me and they say, I want to hear about your career path. You don't like I've been interviewed on like 50 podcasts or in 50 interviews. You can learn all about my career path pretty easily. I've talked about it a lot instead. Like, why don't you use the time with me where, where I can help you on something you care about? And that's really the secret here is that if you understand that, like, my goal isn't to sort of tell you how awesome I am, like, that's not my goal. And, I, and frankly, like, you can find all sorts of things about awesome people online. Like, there's a lot of people who are more awesome than me that you can listen to their story. But if instead you want my support on something, then You've got to come in and say, hey, listen, I've done some research into you. You've got this interesting thing. I'm struggling with this process or this problem, or whatever it is. Could you help? Could you do this sort of thing here? I want to talk to you about how you do a go-to-market strategy for a marketplace company. Awesome. Like I've done that a lot of times. I can help you. Or Eric, you help people with books. I'm thinking about this book idea. Could you sit down with me and help me identify the topic together? I'm, I'm totally in. But it's about flipping this sort of thing around rather than sort of saying, hey, tell me something about you. Like give me, you know, your, your, give me your career path. It's saying, hey, how can you as the professor help me 
with something that's important to do. I want people who are ambitious and aspirational. They want to do things and I'm going to help them accelerate to where they want to go. I love that. But like from the student perspective, it may seem like that's kind of not what it would feel like from from a professor's perspective. Because from that way that you just kind of said it, it seems if I'm just the student asking you that, hey, can you give me advice on this? Or hey, can you give me advice on that? I'm just taking from you and I'm not really giving you anything. And in the world of the internet, whether it's entrepreneurship or anyone that you see on social media, they talk about you need to give value first before you ask for anything. Whereas with your technique, you're kind of just saying, hey, do a little bit of research on you and then ask for it. Maybe from a student, how do you think that do you, does that make sense to you, though? I understand what you're saying. And I think I think there's I think there's something interesting about understanding the people that are drawn to being professors in academia. For the most part, you know, again, it, it sort of depends on the professor a little bit, but we're here because we actually care about helping. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's the thing. Like, you True. know, I, I'm teaching in this thing because I actually want to make a difference. And, and I would tell you about it, too, in particular, is that I view a lot of the things that I'm trying to do is sort of help my students be able to do something awesome so that I have those students to sort of look back on and say, hey, I helped that student do something awesome. The worst thing for many of us is when you spend a lot of time going out teaching and you wind up looking back and you're like, did I make a difference? Did I help any of them? And so what I would tell you is that I want students to come to me sort of with a way that I can help accelerate them in that regard. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in that regard. I don't really think that you need to go out and give value first. What I do think you need to do, though, is actually sort of, sort of provide um, execution on what the plan is. So I'm going to give you this interesting thing that I think will also help you. So I took this sort of same piece of sort of question that you had. And the question that you gave me here was, essentially, do you have to provide value first or not? And I, I basically said, I'm doing all these meetings with students and, you know, uh, you know sort of people who are entrepreneurs and stuff like that. Um, is it actually going to work? What, what do they need to do to succeed? So for about four months, I uh, basically said yes to any single person who wanted to grab a chat with me, coffee, conversation, whatever it was. And I just said yes. And so over the course of about four months, I had uh, 82 people that I sat down with for a chat, a call, whatever it was. Most of these people were people who are like younger in their career. They wanted some career advice or they wanted kind of something entrepreneurial. That was the thing. So every one of them I sat down with and I said, listen, first meeting, happy to do it. Don't have to worry about it. Like you don't have to give me value first. I will just do it because you've taken the time to reach out to me. But what I said at the end of that conversation, when I asked them what they were up to, what they wanted to do, I, hey, I want to do something career related. I have this startup question, whatever it was. My follow-up question was to this. I said, listen, before we meet again, I want you to go out and do this little assignment. And for the most part, what my assignment was, is I said, hey, I want you to go out and start to talk to people, go interview people, get some data about that might help you with your startup or your job hunt or whatever it was. And so I just said, listen, over the next month or so, just go out and try to have, you know, five to eight conversations with people that can help you sort of understand maybe the startup direction you're in or maybe understand about a career path you want to go into. 82 people, right? Did the same thing, the same basic assignment all the time. I have a question for you, Justin. Of those 82 people, how many of them in the next six months got back to me with that assignment having been completed? I would say probably less than 15%. Zero. Zero of those people got back to wow. me. Wow. Yeah, zero. Now, one person did get back to me, uh, but it took him a year, and then he got back to me, and, and he was very nice about it. But I think what's important in all these sorts of things is this is sort of what I call the sort of advice culture. 
everyone sort of wants to sort of get advice and sort of hear all these things and sort of get mentorship. I'm totally anti this idea of mentorship because mentorship sort of assumes that like, I'm going to give you advice and then you're going to sort of take this advice and do something. I'm a big believer in this idea of coaching. So when I sit down with someone and say, hey, listen, how can, you know, tell me what's going on here. Uh, let's talk about it. I'm happy to give you advice, but I don't really want to just give you advice. I want to give you an action plan to sort of execute on that advice and go forward. And so the key thing that I would sort of say is, I think nearly every professor that I know is always happy to sit down once and have that conversation. But if you don't have an action item and a, an ability to execute on that next step, why should they have a follow-up meeting with you? And that's the core thing that matters. Remember what I said before, the key thing to sort of succeeding later on in your life is developing a mentor-like relationship with a faculty member. That mentorship doesn't come from one piece of feedback and you're done. It comes from repeated sort of execution and improving on the things that you do. So that's, I think, the thing that to back to your question is like, I don't, I wouldn't worry too much about providing value first. I would go in having done your homework prepared, know a little bit about it, like go in with something that's more tactical. You want to talk to you with the professor, not just, hey, I'd love to get some general advice, something specific, like that they can work on with you in that one. And then come out of that meeting with an action plan for what's next. And then if you execute on that one, you put yourself in a very rarefied air of students who say that they're going to do something, bring it back, and then continue to iterate it on over time. That's my two cents in it is like, don't worry about like adding value, just add execution when you agree on a plan of what you're going to do together. Okay. So let's say we're past the first meeting. I've, I'm not one of those 82 students that, that you <laughs> talked to, right? And I actually came back uh, with another action item for the next uh, meeting that we had. To what extent can you really get personal with a professor? Because again, it's a new sort of realm for a lot of students. They've never really had to engage with people that are that much older than them on a consistent basis, other than probably family members. What, what would be your advice there in terms of how personal you can get? I think it's important to, to do your homework beforehand. And I think to understand things about it. And I think what I would say about getting quote unquote personal, it's just about looking for, for sort of overlaps that allow you to connect and have some sort of shared affinity. So for example, if someone goes out and sees, uh, you know, looks at, looks me up on social media or looks up, you know, every professor has a, uh, a sort of a web page about them and their background. I think the important thing to do is to sort of dive into things that are intersection points. Hey, listen, I, I saw you did this interesting research on, you know, Major League Baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. That's really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about it or what might have you. I, I think a lot of about being personal with someone is about having context for what's personal. You know, again, I, I think there is this sort of there's this intimidating relationship that many people have with a professor. And I think why that is, is because they believe the student believes that the professor is judging them. Right. They're like judging them and sort of grading them in their own head. We mm -hmm. don't think that way. Honestly, like like it's not one of those <laughs> things that we think we hate the grading process. Like I, it's my least favorite thing to do. I, I don't really worry about it. And I don't like I don't think people when we sit down and grade someone or we're never sort of pluses or minuses based on how like the relationship is. Nearly every professor I've ever spoken to, and I would say this is probably consistent across the board. It's not like one of those things that like, oh, hey, Justin came to my office hours twice. Therefore, I'm going to give him a better grade. We don't. We don't work that way because we have to play a much longer game. That would, be, that would be sort of inappropriate to do. What instead we're really trying to do is sort of say, I want to think about my experience with you as a student in this classroom as a way to help teach you something, help you learn, and then hopefully, if the experience was good enough, help you coach you on what's to come ahead of that one. So a fairly large number of my students come back to me with questions down the road. Alums come back with sort of startup questions. You know, I think you have to view this as a long-term relationship, and I think it's, you know, build those shared affinity points in the regard of it. But don't sort of worry too much that the professor is judging you. 
because we're just not. <laughs> we just don't have time to think about it in those ways. <laughs> we're just mostly interested to sort of see like, you know, how we can be specific and help. I think general, like the two things I would sort of say is like, don't focus on general advice. Hey, tell me about your career path. Like, no, like that doesn't help. Here's the specific <laughs> thing to do. And then I think the second part of it is really make sure that we know that our sort of value we provide to you is being sort of executed on. Again, it sort of was like depressing when I heard that I'd had these 82 conversations and none of them did anything with it. Like that made me a little bit depressed. But those that the, the, yeah, the guy that did execute on it, even a year later, we still talk, you know, so I think that's kind of the thing that's important to think about. I feel that's I mean, wow, zero. That is zero. crazy I know. that it was literally zero. Mm -hmm. um, but back to your point of how students might view professors in sort of this judgmental way, like they think that that they're always judging their students. I feel that comes a lot from high school yes. because I do feel in high school, you do get judged, especially depending on grades and everything like that. Like I remember hearing teachers say like, oh, you're not going to succeed because you got like a lower than a C on this test or whatever like that to some students. But in college, it's kind of different, right? Mm -hmm. I feel since they've got a bigger um, audience and they've talked to more in intellectual people that they know that your grade doesn't necessarily correlate to how well you're going to do in your career. And it's all about like what you actually know. And that doesn't necessarily always translate onto a test. And that judgmental side of your grades kind of goes away. But again, students don't really realize that, which mm -hmm. is really weird. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think a couple things to sort of understand. I think this is a good thing for sort of students to recognize that when they leave high school and go into college is that, that for most professors, they don't sort of teaching is sort of their hobby. It's not really their job. So, and I mean this in like the most clarifying way, you know, for most sort of tenure and tenure track professors, the teaching part of it is typically about a third to maybe 20% of their job. They're primarily doing research. Like that's what their job is. And so from that standpoint to understand is that like they don't really sort of put their value in sort of the fact of their, their teaching nearly the same way that a high school teacher would. So that's the first thing to understand, even for me, right? I mean, I'm, an, I'm an adjunct professor. I'm not a full-time professor. My teaching is something I do. I enjoy it, but it's not like it's, you know, it doesn't pay very well. It's not like the thing that I would sort of say, hey, this is like the great way to make a ton of money. What it really does, though, is it's fulfilling. I enjoy it. I do enjoy doing it. And so to understand that is to sort of say, we just don't have time to judge you in the same sort of way. And frankly, our, our worth as a teacher, as an instructor, isn't so wrapped up in you as the student. And so I think you just have to understand here is that it's sort of this thing where we view a lot of agency in the students and agency meaning you know, you come in, we're going to give you what we can, but it's really on you to succeed. Whereas I think high school teachers have much more of their own sort of like, you know, their performance, their, their value wrapped up in how their students do. They're judged on their performance and these sort of things. We you know, grade to a curve, usually whatever that sort of thing is. Uh, our job is to help make sure that you are challenged and that you sort of go through it. But for the most part, it's not our full-time thing. Just to, there are professors who their full-time thing is they are, you know, teaching faculty members. But the, the majority of us are is the teaching is a part of what we do, not the only thing. we do. Another day, another cheat code, and you're on your way to defeating the level that we like to call college. If you've liked any of the cheat codes that we've given out, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes. Each review helps us grow and make sure that more people learn these tips. 
We love to hear from you all. So make sure you check out our website, www.getchillgrindup.com and follow us on all social media platforms at Get Chill Grind Up. That's G-E-T-C-H-O-G-R-I-N-D-U-P. So until next time, peace.